Hi, this is QD Clinic. I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic's more than the data, more than the trials. It's about connecting the dots between clinical practice and that which you are taught by the experts and really connecting the dots so it makes sense to you. We hope to see you at Room Now Live. Today's case is recurrent fevers to 103. 43-year-old white male has a history of hypertension, diabetes. He's been in the hospital a few times for these fevers. Uh, he was hospitalized last month with a fever of 39 degrees centigrade, lasting three days, and said it went away when he was given steroids. All of his prior episodes are fevers that last for three days, and they usually resolve either with antipyretics or with a course of steroids. When he comes to see you, he just got out of the hospital, he's on prednisone, 40 milligrams a day. His past history is notable for a chronic sore throat, um, but he has no weight loss, no myalgias, no um, rash, um, no hair loss. When you examine him, he has impressive synovitis of multiple joints, wrists, MCPs, knees, and ankles. He has a few cervical lymph nodes that are non-tender, mobile, bilateral, and on chest X-ray, he has hyaluronopathy. His white count is really, uh, is really elevated, as are many of his labs. His white count's 42,000 with a left shift. He has a mild anemia, albumin of less than three. His set rate's 85. His CRP is 11 milligrams per deciliter. That's 110 milligrams per liter. His ferritin is over 40,000. His other tests, ANA, rheumatoid factor, CPK, aldolase, CCP, LFTs, SPEP, really are not diagnostic or negative. He has a bone marrow biopsy showing increased cellularity of all lineages, and the bone marrow, blood, urine are negative for bacterial infection, fungal infection, NTB. Question is, what's your diagnosis? Well, I'm sorry if you've been thinking that this is Stills disease because it's not. The gentleman has three days of fever and it goes away. If you didn't give him steroids, it would still go away. It may go a little bit less, but and then how many, how many times you have a fever? It's unpredictable. In a month, he might have two or three episodes. In, a, in six months, he might have two or three episodes. It has no periodicity or reproducibility. Still's disease in kids and adults is a daily fever at the same time, usually late at night or late in the evening. It goes up and it comes down. By morning time, when you have your endogenous cortisol, they usually are afibrile. So this patient, um, if you look at the Yamaguchi criteria, would meet Yamaguchi criteria, but you'd have to count the fever if you don't count the fever as being typical, then he wouldn't meet Yamaguchi criteria. He doesn't meet the Cush criteria. If you're not sure what the criteria are, you can go to stillsnow.com, and there is a criteria calculator that you can figure out whether the patient has Stills disease or not. The question is, what could this person have? This is an adult-onset disease. Let's go right to the rare one, Schnitzler syndrome. An adult-onset auto-inflammatory condition looks just like this, although they tend to have daily fevers with Schnitzler syndrome. The diagnostic test there would be the presence of an M-spike or monoclonal or polyclonal gammopathy, which goes along with Schnitzler syndrome. Uh, but the two- to three-day history 
is very reminiscent of familial Mediterranean fever. There are not too many conditions that will give you two to three days of fever. You know, traps will give you 10 days, 14 days, 20 days of fever, and then go away. FMF, two to three days makes a lot of sense. But you need to diagnose that with genetic testing. This person was seen at the county hospital. The county hospital wouldn't order the $100 auto-inflammatory panel from Invitae.com. So he doesn't get the diagnosis confirmed by genetic testing. Instead, he gets treated with Anakinra. And you know what? He did well. Fevers went away. Sore throat improved. Polyarthritis got better but did not get totally better. And he needed to go on methotrexate and still be on steroids. You can see the problem of not having a firm diagnosis here um, does translate to some uncertainty with regard to his therapy. Now, maybe he could do better if he was on um, methotrexate in high doses at a regular, um, at a regular every day or every week, I should say. Or maybe instead of methotrexate, he could be on azathioprine or leflunamide or some combination thereof, along with a cytokine inhibitor. And yeah, IL-1 is the only one that's approved, and that's canakinumab. So maybe we do better by switching to long-acting canakinumab if we could get it paid for. These are difficult cases. The only other thing that was on my differential was because the man is from Brucella, uh, from, <laughs> not Brucella, the land of Brucella called Mexico, uh, they often, people from Mexico will often go back and eat unpasteurized dairy products. So brucellosis is not uncommon and could present like this. So that's an easy uh, antigen-based assay that you could test for um, to rule out that particular diagnosis, along with other infections that should be done in cases like that. That's it for this episode of QD Clinic. Tune in for more. Hi, this is QD Clinic. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live 2023, March 1819 in Dallas. We hope you'll be there. Great rheumatologists like us go to great meetings like this. Today's case is a double positive, double seropositive, but only a few joints. What do you call it? So a 49-year-old man comes to see me. He has a complaint of an injury in his wrist and hand pain. Goes to his doctor. Doctor does lab tests. Said rate's normal. Uh, ANA's negative. Uh, rheumatoid factor was a low positive at 25. Um, doesn't have much else to show for it. Uh, at that point, um, maybe his knees are swollen. It's really hard to tell. Um, so we give him a uh, intramuscular steroid and a 15-day course of, of prednisone. And he comes back in about five or six weeks. At that time, he says the steroids really didn't do him much, just made him jittery. Um, he's still having mostly knee pain uh, and some wrist pain. Uh, and really his history is um, only notable for um, uh, diverticulitis uh, a number of years ago and a history of alcohol abuse many years ago. He's currently only taking... Um, Celecoxib, 200 milligrams twice a day, and having some gastritis. On exam, 
you find both knees to be clearly swollen with two plus synovitis. He has um, mild synovitis in the right wrist and a limitation of motion um, because of pain and swelling. Now the question is, um, is this RA? It's not four or more joints, it's only three. Uh, it is chronic, um, it is synovitis. Does he meet criteria for RA? Or, and do you even need criteria for RA to give him treatment? My answer is, he doesn't really need to meet criteria for me to treat him um, with, when you have swollen joints that's chronic and not responding to simple measures like a non-steroidal or a short course of steroids. Um, but if you go with the ACR-ULAR criteria, he does barely meet criteria in that he has um, two or three large joints. That's one point. He has double positive CCP. Uh, I said he's double positive. His rheumatoid factor was barely positive, but his CCP was strongly positive at, at about a, a 200. Um, so he's double positive. He gets three points for that. Now he's up to four points. You need six for the diagnosis by these new criteria, using this new classification scheme. Uh, his set rate was normal, but his CRP was high at 20 milligrams per liter. You get one point for that. So he goes from um, one point for large joints, three points for um, double positive, and one point for the CRP. That's five points. Oh, it's chronic. More than six weeks, he gets another point. Now he gets the six. So he does barely make the criteria on a point base uh, point basis. But I don't think you really need to have these points to treat it when you have a chronic synovitis, especially of two or more joints, um, and it's disabling and doesn't respond to special measures. I would have treated him. Now, the interesting thing about this is his uh, alcohol history and his diverticulitis history. Diverticulitis history, you wouldn't want to use a JAK inhibitor. Alcohol history, you're not rushing in to use uh, methotrexate or leflunamide. Uh, and uh, ideally, you know, you could treat him with simple measures like hydro hydroxychloroquine, but honestly, the response rate there is going to be low and slow. So we opted for a TNF inhibitor, and uh, we'll see how that goes. We, why TNF inhibitor? Because we can get, I'm trying to get him off the non-steroidals. I'm trying to uh, get a better quicker response because he's had this now going on for mm, close to four or five months and he can no longer work. So uh, again, you can be seropositive. That doesn't, diagnose, that doesn't guarantee the diagnosis, but you need a few joints to then commit to the diagnosis and treatment for rheumatoid arthritis. Tune in for more QD clinics. This is QD Clinic. QD Clinic is brought to you by RoomNow.Live. RoomNowLive 2023 is going to be in March. Hope to see you there. Our case is septic arthritis that needs to be treated in the future. 36-year-old woman with RA and a history of two prior episodes of septic arthritis. And, and now she comes to see you. She's on 10 milligrams of prednisone and she needs a DMARD. The question is, what do you use? Number one, well, think about it. What are you going to use? Are you going to use a conventional DMARD? 
methotrexate, hydroxychloroquine, leflunomide, azathioprine. Going to use a biologic. What if it that she developed these um, septic joints while taking a biologic? Would you use a biologic again? What if she got these septic joints prior to the biologic era? Would you use a biologic in the future? Does the biologic even factor into this? My answer is probably not. And let me explain. Number one, if you had a septic arthritis, and God forbid a second one, well, if you've had a septic arthritis, true septic arthritis, you're more likely to get it in the future. And it's more likely to be severe the second time around, maybe even life-threatening. This patient's had two prior septic arthritis events. She's likely to get a third, and it's likely to be life-threatening in the future. How do you protect her against septic arthritis? You need an extensive workup as to why she's getting septic arthritis. You want to do an echo. You want to do blood cultures. You want to send her for immunodeficiency. You want to uh, look at the implants, if she's had any implants that would seed into these septic joints. You know, you got to look for a reason, something that you can decrease her future episodes of. You want to look at her dentition. I mean, there's a lot of things you got to worry about. Treating her with anything is risky, period. What's the most risky thing you can do? Continue to give her steroids. Steroids are the number one risk factor beyond the activity of RA. The biologic and the DMARD, that's like number four, five, or six on the list. Who's at really great risk? If the patient's under age 60, like this one is, has no other risk factors for septic arthritis, there's not much difference between whether I give her a DMARD or a TNF inhibitor or another mechanism of action biologic or targeted synthetic. There's really no difference. If she has a prior history of serious infections and she's under age 60, there's a small risk, like the risk goes from like 6% um, without a TNF inhibitor with a DMARD to maybe uh, 9% with a TNF inhibitor. But which drug is going to control her disease better? And I'm assuming you're getting the patient off steroids. However, if she's over 60, has one or two prior SIE events, and has other comorbidities, now you're talking big-time risks. Her risk of getting a septic joint or another serious infectious event in the next year is somewhere between 15 to 25%. And if you give her a TNF inhibitor, it goes as high as 40%. So there, the biologic may not be the best choice, meaning in the worst possible candidates. But again, I want to underscore, it's steroids, steroids, steroids that you got to worry about. Next, you got to reduce the risk factors that you can reduce for future infection and work this patient up so that she doesn't get a third infection. And lastly, if she's an ultra, an ultra high-risk patient, I, I don't like the idea of going safe in her because she's a high-risk patient. She's probably going to have very active RA. I try to control disease at all costs. But yeah, I might be talked into DMARDs and a combination of DMARDs as opposed to putting on a TNF inhibitor or abatacept or whatever. What biologics might be safer than other biologics? Maybe abatacept, maybe anakinra, but you get SIEs with those uh, infections as well. There's nothing particularly damning about TNF inhibitors here. They're just as bad as everything else. That's it for this QD Clinic. Tune in for more. Welcome to Cutie Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. Cutie Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. 
Room Now Live is about meetings that matter, meetings that change thinking, meetings that give you the information and the voice to better manage your cases. Today's case is about I want to get pregnant. 33-year-old woman comes to see you. She has erosive RA. She's taking methotrexate and adalimumab, and she wants to um, get pregnant. Should she stop? She wants to stop all her therapies and just go ahead and get pregnant. She heard that, that women are RA patients who get pregnant go into remission, and she won't need her, her future therapy. Uh, what are you going to recommend to her? Are you going to recommend to continue the methotrexate? No, it's, you know, it's a class X pregnancy risk back in the days when they were doing classification like that. Um, would you recommend she continue the adalimumab? Well, maybe, depending on how much. So the bottom line here is what's the best thing you can do? Number one, plan the pregnancy, meaning let's get pregnant when you're in remission off the therapies we're going to be off of and can safely conceive. Conception and pregnancy success is mandated by maternal um, control, maternal activity being minimal or non-existent. Women who are in remission are the, going to have the best outcomes when it comes to conceiving and following through on the nine-month pregnancy. That's paramount. So at the time that you see this patient, she's in remission, on methotrexate and adalimumab, I would stop the methotrexate and bring her back in three months and then show that she's still in remission and then give her the option of conceiving on the adalimumab and then stopping once she gets to be pregnant or continuing it throughout. But if she stops it right at that three-month visit when she's in remission, no swollen joints, no tender joints, um, and you stop it and tell her to go ahead and try to get pregnant, maybe going off of it, maybe she flares. And maybe that changes her risk of conceiving or having a successful pregnancy. You know, there's fairly good evidence, um, although not well-designed studies, that show that women who continue their adalimumab throughout the pregnancies have great outcomes, no real increased risk uh, for adverse pregnancy outcomes. Women who conceive on the biologic, especially a TNF inhibitor, and then stop like as soon as they find out they're pregnant, tend to have worse outcomes. Not, not gigantically worse, but significantly more adverse pregnancy outcomes, including miscarriage, um, low birth weight, you know, fetal distress. Not really in, the, in with regard to um, malformations. That doesn't seem to happen. So you would not be making the wrong choice if you advise the patient because of their history of being very active or having lots and lots of flares to continue this throughout the pregnancy or certainly through the first or second trimester. That's kind of how I handle it. In fact, I like the GI approach with Crohn's disease. You know, a high percentage of patients with Crohn's disease will flare um, and will flare, they'll definitely flare if they stop their their purine antagonists or their biologic therapies, very, very high rates. So the general rule is that you continue their 6MP or their azathioprine, plus or minus their biologics, mainly TNF inhibitors throughout the pregnancy, and they do very, very, very well. No increased risk of malformations, no, no increase in adverse 
uh, pregnancy outcomes. Uh, I think that that's a, and that's based on the piano study. Look it up. The piano study um, lead author is Uma Mahadevan from UCSF. That's a really instructive study and should inform you about how to advise this patient going forward. So A, planning, B, B in remission, C, minimizing therapy, um, and then following them. And make sure that you're involved in their care throughout the pregnancy and postpartum. I like to see my patients in the first trimester, last trimester, and postpartum. That's my rules, and I think we should all do something like that. We don't want to turn over the care of the autoimmune disease, the rheumatoid, the psoriatic, to the OBGYN, who is just as concerned about your patient as you are, except they don't know how to manage the arthritis like you do, right? Um, so make sure you're involved. The patient will benefit. That's it for QD Clinics.